Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. A lot of late nights that go into these and a lot of praying that tuition would get paid goes into these. And so so we really want to honor them. And today I have a special message specifically towards graduates, but I believe it's specifically towards anyone else as well. Uh, there's so much in life uh, that goes on, and there's so many things uh, that we are trying to accomplish, uh, not just high school graduates and college graduates, uh, but there's so many other things that we are going through in our life, so many other goals, so many other dreams, so many other stuff that we want to accomplish uh, with our life. Uh, so in case you don't know me, I don't even know if I introduce myself for those of y'all who are new here today. Uh, my name is Cody Knight. I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, I I absolutely enjoy sports. Like, that's my life, okay? I, I love sports. Uh, I didn't watch cartoons growing up. I would just turn on and watch Sports Center in the morning uh, from 6 to when I left for school. Yes, it's the same episode during that whole time, but it did not matter to me. I loved it. And one of my favorite times of the year is March Madness, okay? I absolutely love it. I love watching college basketball. I love the excitement it brings, and there's nothing better than 64 teams getting together and seeing who's the best. But what's so exciting about that is this, is the fact that they have this thing called automatic bids. And what that means is if you win your conference, no matter how small of a school you are, you automatically get into the tournament. Uh, So what does that mean? Well, it means this. Like this year, you get a situation where the University of Kentucky is playing against the University of St. Peter's. What does that mean? Glad you asked. Uh, It means that the University of Kentucky had more people coming in as freshmen as St. Peter's had in their entire school. So you literally have a David versus Goliath uh, situation. And in that, St. Peter's goes on to win, goes on to make this magnificent run, uh, beating all these teams that were double, triple, 10 times the size of them. And what makes these stories so exciting, why we love them so much, is I believe it gives us a glimpse, a glimpse of hope. I believe we look at that and see in our own life things that we can overcome, things that we can do. And this one word comes to mind is resilience. I believe resilience, and what I mean by that is the ability to keep going even when things are hard. Showing up to face the difficult things in life rather than running away. Knowing you're going to be okay even when things don't turn out the way you hoped. Choosing to never give up. Choosing to find a reason to keep going, growing stronger after you have struggled, failed, and faced hard stuff in life. That's what resilience is. But the issue is this, is a lot of times there's two different people in the room. There's the ones that are saying this, you have no idea what I've been through in my life. You have no idea uh, the things that I've been through, the stuff that I've gone through. And the truth is, I don't. But I know this, that there is still this opportunity for resilience there, for hope in those situations. Now, in those situations, that's the last thing you're thinking of, right? When you're in the fire, the last thing you're thinking of is, man, 
man, I'm going to be better at the end of this. I tell you what, uh, you're thinking, man, I want this over with. I want some kind of normal to come back into my life. Please let this be completely gone. I shared a story last week uh, very briefly about my parents and about kind of my story as well. Uh, so I grew up in church. Um, I grew up uh, um, in a house that went to church. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I grew up in a house that went to church. My parents prayed for me. My parents taught me Jesus. Uh, my parents loved on me. They did all this different stuff, but I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Like absolutely nothing to do with him. I did, it, it didn't matter how hard they tried. It didn't matter what they did. I just wanted nothing to do with him. I didn't want to follow him. I didn't believe he was real. And the story goes on and on. And I remember, I remember specifically the desperation in my parents. Like I, I, I remember the, the, the notes that my dad would write and, and, two or three pages and, and leave them in my car so I would see them in the morning. Um, um, I, I remember the, um, the, the call that my mom gave me and the crying and the weeping uh, when I moved out of my house in my 11th grade year because I didn't want to live by the rules anymore. And I, I remember the, the, the pain. I remember the suffering. I remember coming back home after that and it being awkward. My mom was like, man, so glad you're home. And I was like, eh, not so sure. Um, but it, the, the awkwardness in that, like it was, it was so much trial. It was so much stuff and it spread to my brothers and spread to my extended family. And it would, the hurt and the pain would just go on and on. I remember the pain I put my parents through. And I look back now and I see their desperations and their attempts to understand and help me to understand the love of Jesus over me. Amen. We all have situations where it is difficult. Maybe you thought it shouldn't be this way. But the truth is, there is nothing in this world that can shake your life like pain can. There's nothing in this world that can. <laughs> life and pain will hit you so hard that you will be on this ground and like curled up in a ball quick. And it changes like that. And so what do you do with that? We just want normal in situ times like that. We're not thinking, man, thank God I'm going through this situation so I can be better at the end. We just want to be done with it. We can't make the difficult stop. We can't make the challenges go away. In fact, Scripture says we should expect it. And so, with that, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 27 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27. And here we're going to look at a passage of Scripture uh, from the writer Paul. Now, Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But before Paul was Paul, he was named Saul. And Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he would say for himself. Smart, brilliant guy. Uh, Pharisees would have memorized the Old Testament. I mean, he, he knew it back and forth. He could write things about it. Uh, he, he knew it. This guy was brilliant. And even so, with that, at some point in his life, during that time, he had to have or come into some kind of understanding of who Jesus was. See, because before, he, he had some kind of interaction while he was still Saul. 
because he knew that something like you just hear things about this Jesus. It's, it's, it's like it's kind of like this town, like something happens and everybody hears about it. Right. Uh, anyways, uh, so it's the same way back then. And so he would have heard about it. He would have knew stirrings and different things about this Jesus. Uh, but he didn't believe who he was. Ask me how. Great, thanks for asking. Uh, Acts chapter 6 shows that it's the first martyr, Stephen, and he's being stoned by, he's, he's being stoned by these people. In picture, he's in this hole being stoned uh, by these Jews, and he looks, he's looking up to heaven, and he sees the glory of God. Uh, but just before that, before they go and stone him, the people take their coats, and they lay him down at the foot of Saul. Same Saul who will be changed into Paul and writes two-thirds of the New Testament. So not only did he not follow Christ at that time, but Saul believed with everything in him that Jesus was not Jesus. He believed it. He he knew the scriptures. He studied them. Yet he was 100% convinced that this wasn't Jesus. That's why he was killing all the Christians. He's wanting to be done with. This isn't right. This doesn't line up with scripture. On and on and on and on and on until the road of Damascus. Paul, walking on the road of Damascus, comes comes in an encounter with the risen Jesus. And in that moment, his life is completely changed. Nothing would be the same. He goes from Saul to Paul. He becomes blind, goes into the next city, there meets a man, and his life is completely altered. Here goes this guy who was murdering Christians, convinced with everything in him that Jesus was not real, to this guy who writes two-thirds of the New Testament, who spread the word about Jesus around the world and was even willing to die for Jesus. He found his purpose in life, and he found it was living living life to the fullest was actually following Jesus. So this same guy's had this transformation based off the encounter with the risen Savior. So now we're going to the verse. Same person writes this. I have been put in prison more often, been whipped three times without number, faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Just let you know, if you want to calculate that up, that's a lot, okay? Uh, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as the Gentiles, I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I shivered in cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Just a recap for you. He was in prison. He was whipped. He faced lashes. Um, He faced death. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was adrift at sea a whole night and a whole day. Danger after danger, hungry and thirsty, 
and cold, shivering cold. It's pretty intense, right? And this guy who wrote almost half of the New Testament in the Bible, uh, the guy who had every reason to believe that good stuff would equal an incredible life. After all, I mean, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I can't say that I wrote two-thirds of Scripture, right? I don't really have that kind of resume, but Paul has that kind of resume. And so anybody who should have an easy life, you would think it would be this guy. He faced more difficulty and trouble and pain than any of us could ever imagine. But here's what I think is so important to note here. Paul, who was Saul and completely believed Jesus was not who he was, was changed to Paul because he had an interaction with the risen Savior. And he went through all of this list. Don't you think if there's anybody who would say, man, I'm done with this, it would be him? I mean, he gives his life up, follows Christ, goes through all of this stuff, and is even betrayed by his own kind, his own people, his own, the Jews. And so, so imagine this, like before when he was Saul, he was praised by the Jews. He was lifted up. He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. People adored him, adored him. People were waiting to get on the list to have a conversation with this wise man. And so now that his life has changed, he's had the resurrected, he's had an interaction with the resurrected Savior, things have gotten seemingly worse. Like it's, I mean, I don't have to read through this list again. Like, goodness gracious, that's crazy. But the same person writes this in Philippians. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Check that out. I press on. I have not reached it, but I press on. The it Paul was referring to is the idea of knowing Jesus fully. The moment Paul met Jesus, his view of what was important in the world shifted drastically. The way he saw the world and the others was dramatically changed. He knew there was something bigger than his difficulty and pain, and it had to do with following Jesus. Paul knew this truth. Knowing Jesus changes everything. Knowing Jesus changed everything for him. How so? Well, he didn't believe Jesus is who he says he is. Then he had an encounter with the risen Savior, and that changed him forever, that even though he goes through all these trials, when he could say, I give up, it could not change the fact that the risen Savior was standing right in front of him, and that meant it changed everything for him. There was nothing going to be the same. There was no trial. There was no shipwreck. There was no lashes that could change the fact that Jesus was real and he raised from the dead. And that gave him the hope. That gave him the resilience. That gave him the peace to keep going on through. And not only that, the realization that my Savior had gone through, Jesus had gone through the same thing. Jesus faced a hard time. He was the perfect son of God, but he was beaten and mocked and crucified and buried, but he rose again. So what happened for Paul? Paul saw this Jesus, and in seeing that Jesus, he had a hope that could be untouched. It could never be touched. 
Because anytime you have interaction with a risen Savior and you see him face to face, there's nothing you're going to be able to do that's going to change your mind. And I know you may be like me and you may say, okay, yeah, I, I get that. Like, I, I understand that. Like, if I had an interaction and Jesus was sitting right here in the chair in front of me, I would probably be the same thing. But check this out for me just for a second. Check this out. So Jesus was resurrected completely, historical fact. I could preach a whole sermon on how it was historical fact. 500, at one time, revealed himself to 500 people. And as he's having these different conversations with the individuals that he meets, he says this. He says, I must go so that I can send the comforter, the one who will be even closer to me, who will live inside of you, and you will know me more. So, so what is that saying? What does that mean? It means this, that me right now with the Holy Spirit living inside of me knows more about Jesus than Paul did looking face to face. Because the Holy Spirit now is living inside of me. I am completely born again and changed through that. So I know who Jesus is. I see him in scripture. I see him in life. I see him in situation when I, when I have peace and I shouldn't. I see him in situation when I have comfort and I shouldn't. I see him in situation when I should give up and I don't. I see him in all of these situations. I can know him. And the truth is this, resilience helps us never give up. And I'm convinced, I'm convinced, I didn't say this in the first service, but I'm convinced that that is the one thing that Satan wants to do to believers is make them give up. Become uneffective. Live a comfortable, easy life. Nice picket fence in your house. Come to church, come back, never be a part of anything more. To give up. Resilience, though, is only gained through faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, though. That's the only way it's gained. It's not gained by hard work. It's not gained by being man enough or woman enough. It's not gained by having all the things right. It's not gained by coming to church every day. It's gained simply by faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. And that is it. And one of my favorite parts about the resurrection is that Jesus flips everything upside down. Everything is changed in this moment. Why? Because the Jews and everybody thought that he was coming back once and once and for all. And that was going to be it. He was going to establish his kingdom and everything was going to be set. But Jesus had other plans. Jesus had plans to flip and change the script on what we as human beings thought was the right way to do things. He changed everything in this moment. Nothing went the way that the Jews thought. He came back in weakness as a human to die for our sins and to be raised on the third day and to send us the Holy Spirit. Then the second time when he comes, he's going to come in power to rule and to reign. That was, the different, that was different than what they thought. He came in weakness and service, not strength and force, to die a ransom for us. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. First, it means we enter the kingdom of God the same way. We don't get it all together. We don't have it all right. 
We don't stack up our list of achievements in order to earn, oh, now, now you're good. You can come into heaven. That's not how it works. And it's unlike all other religions out there where you have to do enough good and then maybe you get a chance to go to heaven. It's the complete opposite. You empty yourself admitting you cannot do it and you're guaranteed a seat at the table. Second, it means we live and grow in this kingdom not by taking power, but by following Jesus, by giving up power in order to forgive and serve. So much of the world is about how much can I gain, how much power can I get, and then I'm able to do good stuff. How that, I'll be able to work for God once I get enough money. I'll be able to work for God once I get enough influence. It's the complete opposite of that. It's emptying myself, understanding, man, hey God, I can't offer a lot. And he says, great, that's where I want you. Now I can use you. And that's the way we grow. Thirdly, we see the whole world is as di- uh, we see the whole world different. We don't overlay value. We don't overly value the uh, competent and confident, and we do not bow to cater the wealthy. But instead, we lift up those in the margin and treat everyone the same. Amen. Why? Because we know everyone is a value by God. Therefore, everyone is a value to us. And I love this as he continues to flip everything upside down. I love this verse in John chapter 16. The band, y'all can go ahead and come out. It says this in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Therefore, I have overcome the world. Therefore, since Jesus has overcome the world, you can have peace because of this. It isn't on you and me. Notice what's not there. It doesn't say, I have told you these things so that you may have peace in the, uh, so you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble, but take heart. You're going to do good. Take heart. You keep coming to church. You're going to have it all together. Take heart. Hey, you'll get it. Keep going. Keep showing up. It says, take heart for I, Jesus, have overcome the world. The truth is this, when we release our control, when we become weak, he makes us strong. That is when the hope comes in. Hope in him, not in me. And that hope in him is what builds into this resilience in life that can handle the things such as Paul had. Paul should have been one that boasted in everything. He should have been one. But countless times over and over again, he said, man, I'm nothing except for Christ in me. I'm nothing except for Christ in me. But here's my warning today to graduates, to adults, to kids, to everyone who's in this room. My warning is this. It's coming into the 20th century. Um, there was a, a guy, it was Nathan Herreras, and he wrote a book in 2007. He wrote, he wrote this book in 2017 um, on this idea of coming into the 20th century and all uh, through the age of enlightenment, through technology growth, uh, through medical advancements and through all this stuff. He wrote this book called, uh, uh, I think, it, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Human, um, 
deity or something like that, something along those lines. Um, But basically what it was getting at is this idea. It's the idea that we are no longer in need of God or God's. Like, like we will, through our advancement, through our, our social understanding, through our uh, advancement in technologies, through our advancement in wisdom and all these other things, that we would get to a place where we wouldn't need God. And the only reason religion come around was because the people way back then uh, didn't know the things that we know now. And so, and so the idea is not so much that we don't need God but that we're God. Here's my warning for you. In the day and age that we live in, where I can become an expert in 15 minutes on YouTube, where, you know, I read a couple articles and all of a sudden I know everything about whatever subject I'm reading on. In a world where, where there's so much information, uh, check this out, in the next like three years, uh, or in the next, yeah, in the next three years, every year there will be more information produced than all of humanity before in one year. That many words, that much information put out there. So I can become an expert in anything. I can know anything. I can learn how to handle people. I can learn how to handle arguments. I can learn how to, um, if a situation is going bad in my marriage, I can learn the one, two, three steps to do that. I can do all of this stuff, but be careful or you end up just like what they thought coming out of the 20th century, that you get to a place where you don't need God. They got to a place where they thought we would advance until then. I just want to go back and ask this Nathan guy over the last five years, how did that work out for you? Because we've seen pandemics when we thought there would be no more pandemics. Uh, We've seen wars when they said there would be no more wars. Uh, We've seen all this other stuff go on. And here's the fact, here's the truth is this. Technology, medicine, Advancements in society and understanding can never satisfy the fact that the human heart is wickedly evil. It can't satisfy it. It's a good thing we got this verse, right? I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome come the human heart. I have created a a remedy for the human heart. It's called being born again through faith in the resurrection Savior. That's what it's called. That changes everything. It takes someone like Paul, who was Saul, who was killing Christians and convinced with everything in him, and he saw the resurrected Savior, and it changed completely everything for him, and the same thing can happen for you and me. This is where hope comes from. Hope doesn't come from knowing more, understanding more, gaining all this stuff. Hope comes from understanding you can't do it, but he can. I don't have the strength, but he is strong enough. I am weak, but thank God my God is strong. I can do this, not based on my own merit, but on his. Things change for my dad, and he'll tell you this. Um, as I was turning 18 and 20, um, my dad 
Uh, some, the world would say, gave up. But my dad didn't give up. He just gave me over to Jesus. Started praying. Uh, got men in his church at that time to pray. Uh, didn't give up, but he knew that he couldn't make me do it. He couldn't make me obey. He couldn't make me fall in love with Jesus, but he knew the one who would overcome the world. He knew who could change my heart. He knew that if he gave me over to him and prayed and asked, then this would happen and I would end up in a place where I'm at today. He took heart not because he had everything together. He took heart because he knew the one who could hold it all together. See, this hope we have in Jesus is is not just a hope uh, for the future. It's a hope from the future. And what does that mean? It means simply this, is is that we have a Savior who's done it. He's defeated death. He is raised again. The only question is this. Are you going to give it up to him? Or are you going to trust you? I don't know a whole lot, but I know this much. In my life, I've tried to carry everything. <laughs> Didn't really work out for me. We wonder why we're in an age of depression. We wonder why we're in an age of anxiety. We wonder why we're in an age of, of so much turmoil. And it's because we've gotten to this place where we think we can hold it. Let me let you know you can't. But you have a Savior with arms wide open saying, bring it to me and I'll give you rest. Bring it to me and I'll give you hope. Bring it to me. I want your burdens. I want to care for you. But if you don't bring it to me, then you're just going to hold it yourself. And the burden is too big for you to carry. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to simply ask this. Maybe you have never encountered this resurrected Savior. Maybe this has just been a religion. Maybe this has just been something you showed up to. But you have never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have never seen that hope that passes all understanding or that peace that passes all understanding. You have never interacted with that. You have never tasted that. You have never seen it. Then maybe you have just never interacted with a resurrected Savior. Today, I want to give you that opportunity. There's nothing magical in this prayer, but there's something powerful about the one you're praying it to because he is the resurrected king. So if that's you today, I just invite you just to say this prayer, repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I can't do it. I've tried for so many years to be in control of my own life, to be in control of my own destiny, to hold everything together, but I can't. God, in my weakness, please make me strong. I put my faith in you and not in myself. I give my life over to you. Take me and use my weakness for your glory. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed. We're not going to come. We're not going to call you out or anything like that. We just want to know so we can pray with you. If you prayed that for the first time, would you just lift your hand up? Amen. And to everyone else in the room, here's what I want to ask you. Aren't you sick and tired of holding on to everything yourself? Won't you come right now and give it to God? This altar is going to be open. Come down here. Whatever you've been holding on to, whatever you've been trying to be in control of, whatever you've been trying to come and hold it all together, give it to God. He wants it. He will give you hope in it. He will give you trust in it. Like He will give you the resilience that you need to keep fighting on and on and on. But without him, you won't be able to do it. Cody, I'm not good enough. I got all this stuff. Great. You're right where he can use you. So come, lay it down at this moment as we continue to worship. I'll pray for us. God, we thank you so much for who you are. Father, I pray now that people would take the step that they need to take, that they would release their control, release being the God of their own life and give it over to you, that they would find freedom in that, that they would find hope in that, that they would leave out of here without the burdens of holding it all together, God, because it's too big for us too. But you want to hold it. You love us so much that you made a way that you can hold it. Father, we give it all to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomaston.com.